Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Jeff. I'm the lead pastor here at the Vineyard Church. So happy you chose to worship with us this morning. Uh, A lot of exciting things happening around the Vineyard Church right now. Obviously, we're kicking off a new series, as you can see from the awesome video our comps team put together. But today is the first day you can sign up for small groups. If you've never signed up for a small group, we'd encourage you to look at those either on the digital program or out in the lobby after the service. And and we, of course, have our back-to-school bash happening today. I brought a change of clothes and some tennis shoes, so uh, you will see me fail miserably at that epic course that we have out there, but I will at least have sore muscles to, uh, to speak about. I'm really excited about that. A lot of new faces, a lot of exciting things happening around the vineyard. Glad uh, that you are here and joining us this morning. Well, as you saw, like I said in that video, we are kicking off a new series today called Greater Than. We're going to really lean on that little math symbol that you can see in the series art and going to use that to talk about how we are consistently hearing different messages from the world. We're we're being sold different ideas, ideologies, worldviews, all kinds of different things. And so we're going to use that symbol greater than to talk about what God is actually speaking to us, how he's teaching us through his word, how he's teaching us through community. And we're going to be pinning two different messages against each other each week, a message from the world and a message from God's kingdom, greater than. I'm sure you are aware of this, but there are lots of really, really smart people out there with very, very big budgets and have, they get paid lots and lots of money to sell you ideas, to sell you ideas enough and consistently enough that you start to think, I need what they have. I need to buy what they're selling. It seems like today sales is everything. There's messages and marketing and ads coming at you from every single direction. The average American actually right now sees between 4,000 and 10,000 different marketing messages on a daily basis, thanks to social media and the explosion of the tech world. 4,000 to 10,000 different marketing messages every day. It's gotten to be so much, right, that we're starting to mute those messages out. But I promise you, if you pull out your phone and you look at social media, you just scan down the list, there'll be as many ads on your social media as there will be pictures of cute little kids and great food. These are coming at us constantly, almost nonstop. And and although we have gotten attuned to to pushing the mute button on the messages that are coming our way, they are starting to stack up in our subconscious. If you dig deep enough in the little crevices of our brains, all all those messages will still be there. And it seems like the world has gotten pretty good at selling messages these days. And this series, really what it's going to be doing is is drilling down in some of the cultural narratives, some of the things that are being said to us on a consistent basis, and also looking and drilling down into scripture and asking the question, God, what do you say about this? If the world says this, what do you say, God? And over time, I think that we need to continue to do this. We need to sharpen our minds and our hearts because those messages, they stack up. And if we're honest with ourselves over the course of the series, we'll learn how those messages are beginning to impact us, how we're starting to lean in to maybe a worldview that's not a biblical worldview. You see, those, those messages, they begin to erode away at the truth that God has planted in our heart. And so we need to be vigilant to fill our minds, to fill our hearts with God's truth. We need to be able to ask questions and reflect together as a church community 
asking for God to give us an honest look at our hearts and our lives and maybe how those messages are creeping in and affecting our lifestyle. So this series, we're going to take a look at six different messages that we hear on a consistent basis, six messages that, that we've all been impacted by, and maybe six messages that we're starting to lean into one way or the other. Simply put, it's a series that's going to look at how the kingdom of God is greater than the kingdom of this world. Our anchor text for the whole series is going to be Romans 12 verses one through two. And in this text, you can learn pretty quickly that God is drawing us into something different. That he wants us to be in the world, around the world, but he actually wants us to look different than the world. He would rather have us reflect God than reflect the world. And he's calling a community of believers together to, as, as we unite with one, one another, to reflect God to the world around us as well. He's inviting us truly into a life of transformation where as we're transformed by God, we're uh, released and encouraged to be part of his transformation of the world around us. Romans 12 starts this way, verse one. And so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. This series will drill down into the different messages that God has for us, all of the different ways he's inviting us into a deeper relationship with him. And I don't always like the binary thought that can kind of come with this greater than symbol. I realize that we're on the surface pinning one thing against the other, either or good or bad. And life isn't always that way, right? There's a lot more gray to our life than just black and white kind of thought patterns. But there are some really important things that God says, no, this is actually greater than what you've been experiencing. I think Stephen Covey would probably love this series, right? The whole good to great reality. Sometimes we can even recognize, and we will in this series, that there are good things in our lives, that we have good things about the way that we're living with God, but he might be inviting us into a greater reality. He might be inviting us to say, yes, this, these are good things, and, and I want those in your life, but there's even something better for you just around the corner. And then some weeks this series, there's going to be words that are just clearly pinned against each other. And we'll talk about those as they come. As well. Well, I want to start this morning looking at our, our, uh, our kickoff uh, message for the series. But before we do that, let's pray and ask God's blessing on, on our time together. God, thank you for your presence here. Thank you for what you're doing in our midst. Thank you for what you're doing in our city. And we just recognize, God, it, it is easy to have our eyes drift from you in the midst of our morning routine. And so I pray right now that you would help us to refocus our gaze on your love. And help us to experience your presence this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to start this morning by talking about a myth that we have in our culture. I love myths. Myths are all over our culture. I'm beginning to expose my children to these different myths. They, uh, we recently went to The Lion King. And one of the previews during The Lion King is there's a new movie coming out called The Yeti. And they didn't know what the heck a Yeti was. So we got to talk about that mythical creature, the Yeti. They've been exposed to Bigfoot. I thought that was pretty neat. 
They recently were exposed to the Loch Ness Monster. They wouldn't go in a large body of water for a couple of weeks, but we conquered that one together as a family. My favorite like mythical creature growing up was the chupacabra. Have you ever heard of the chupacabra? This, it's like a reptilian, like mythical like creature that would hop fences and basically suck, like drain farm animals of their blood and then go on to their next target. It was terrifying, but my brother and I, we loved it because we just tormented our younger sister with dramatic stories of the chupacabra like popping up around, you know, farms in the Midwest. My parents hated us. For like two weeks, my younger sister could not sleep because we would like plant things around the house that looked like chupacabra sightings and all. It was bad. Not talking about chupacabras today. Instead, I want to talk about the myth that we have in our culture of the self-made millionaire. The myth of the self-made millionaire or self-made billionaire for that matter. It's just a, it's a complete and utter mythological lie that is happening in our culture and it's everywhere. It's being marketed and pushed everywhere. Forbes recently released their uh, top list of the self-made billionaires, the youngest self-made billionaires in our culture. Kylie Jenner, who's part of the Kardashian clan. If you don't know, she is the youngest on that list. She made her first billion by the age of 21. We have some CSU students in here this morning. Just think for a moment about how nice it would be, not just no school debt, like no school debt for the whole university, right? Kylie Jenner at 21, youngest apparent self-made billionaire. The only problem is when you actually investigate her life, you realize pretty quickly that she's not self-made. Her family had all kinds of money and they, and they propped her up and they pushed her forward. The media grabbed hold of their story. So she's as much family made and media made as she is self-made. This whole idea of a self-made billionaire just simply does not exist. Yet it's sneaking into our culture. And now we have this idea, we have this reality that maybe if we can get insta-famous or we can become the next YouTube star, we'll somehow become the next self-made millionaire or billionaire, the next self-made man or woman. But it's just a myth. It's a, it's a crock. I was recently uh, watching a PBS show called In My Humble Opinion. I really like, they're about four or five minutes long. And um, on this particular On this particular episode, there was a 30-something-year-old millionaire who was fighting against this Americanized kind of picture of the self-made, self-made man or woman, the self-made millionaire. And he was fighting against this kind of picture, this kind of lie by actually telling the story of his entire family. He He goes back a few generations and he said, it wasn't my idea to emigrate to the United States. My great-grandparents decided to move to the United States, and it was my grandparents who started saving money so that my parents could buy their first house. And then he said his parents, they worked overtime so that they could actually move the entire family from a bad neighborhood to a good neighborhood because they wanted their son, the guy who is doing this story, to be in a neighborhood with a great school so he could get a great education. His great-aunt then found out that he was excelling in school, so she took her life savings and paid for his college. He went into entrepreneurship in the undergraduate and he came up with a brilliant idea. And then it was his professors and business mentors that put their arms around him. And they said, we believe in you. We need to help you kind of navigate university. First person in his family to go through university. And then all of a sudden, a venture capitalist caught wind of this idea. And they said, we not only believe in you, but we believe in this idea. And we're gonna give you a bunch of seed money so that this thing can take off. 
By the time he was 30, he had made his first million. But his entire story was a picture of, of a giant community coming around this guy, lifting him up, propelling him forward, speaking into his life, sometimes in big ways like the aunt who paid for college and sometimes in small ways, the professor who just spent a little extra time with him on the side. He's not a self-made millionaire. He's a community-made millionaire. And he realized it was me that had to study hard and nobody else could go to the class for me. And, and I was the one that had to take all these risks and put, my bank, you know, put bankruptcy as, as a potential idea on the table. He was the one that made all those individual decisions. But at the end of the day, it was largely a community that was pushing him forward. Unfortunately, that message isn't being sold very much right now. Instead, our culture, partly because of the way that our country was formed, is pushing a message of complete independence, complete individuality, like somehow this is the pinnacle of our existence. If I can just create everything on my own, by myself, for myself, now I'm kind of the pinnacle of what it means to be an American. They're selling that and sometimes we buy it. Because the idea of being self-reliant means no one else can hurt us. The idea of being independent means that we can't get bogged down with anybody else's issues and we won't make their issues our own issues. The only problem is a self-made person is a myth. It just doesn't exist. And unfortunately, if you believe that myth and you you give your life's work and your life's energy and your life's savings to adopt that myth after some time. And it might be early on, it might be later on in life, you'll realize that you didn't get there on your own. And, and maybe it will be a point of loneliness or isolation or depression when you realize that. That you were designed and created for community, not individualization. And for the record, I'm not saying that individual, individuality is a bad thing, right? I mean, I think it's one of the most beautiful things that our culture and our country can offer. I was recently at a Chamber of Commerce event last week, eating lunch with some different business owners from the city. And I, and I met a Frenchman who had moved here about 15 years ago. And we were talking about this reality, because this is what I do. I, I prep my messages when I'm out in the city, Right. <laughs> And he said that he loves the, the spirit of America and its push for individuality. It's actually the very thing that helped him break free from a large company and start his own business. That entrepreneurial spirit is alive and well in America, is it not? And he said it was very encouraging to him to have so many people come around him and say, you know, you have the gifts and the skill set and the personality and, and just the, the wherewithal in business to really go it alone. And so he decided to do that. And then he realized there were all kinds of people coming around his side, trying to help him, trying to help him make it on his own. But the irony in all of it was that he has signed up for the chamber to meet more people and be in more relationships. That he loved that spirit of individuality and he loved that kind of entrepreneurial fight that the American dream kind of can present to you. But it also left him pretty isolated and alone from other business folks. And he wanted to meet more people and then be in relationship with more people. And so of course I'm listening to him, I'm prepping my message. So I invited him here because why not? There's a place where you can now meet five or 600 people on one Sunday and you can climb a warped wall. It'd be a great way. No, I mean, that's what we do. We love the church. We invite people into the church. 
It was just an awesome interaction with him where you can see how both of these things are really, really good. And, and both of these things are, are, are really part of how God's created us. But at the end of the day, when you study scripture, you realize pretty quickly that God isn't calling us to live a life on our own. That there are individual decisions that only you can make, but God doesn't want it to stay just isolated and alone. He wants to thrust you into a community of believers to help and support and navigate our journey with Jesus together. I think sometimes when we adopt a heightened sense of individualization, it can lead to things like despair. Obviously can lead to things like loneliness, depression, See, we were created for a deeper sense of relationship. Not only that, but it can, it can create a lack of love or, or even wisdom in your life. As Rick taught last week, when you make all kinds of decisions on your own, sometimes you have short-sighted decisions. But we were created for each other in the midst of it. Today's message as we kick off this series is titled, Community is Greater Than Individuality. Community is greater than individuality. Again, individuality isn't all bad. But biblically, the power of community trumps the power of an individual. What can be done together when we band together, when we lock arms together, you can see greater amounts of healing. You can see greater amounts of impact and even more influence in the culture around you for the kingdom of God when we unite with each other than when we always go alone. The main point that I would want you to remember this morning is simple. I, I hope you actually remember more than one thing this morning, I suppose, but if it comes down to one, I would want you to remember this. The best version of you happens in community. You can have a good version of you trucking it alone and going it by yourself and making things happen, but the best version of you, the best version of who God has created you to be happens in community. I want to pick up in Romans 12, where I left off this time, starting in verse three. This is going to be our text leaning into this morning's message. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, this is Paul writing, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. In this text, the, the church and the people who believe in Jesus, this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus, this text is, is basically calling you a part of a larger body. Paul is using this metaphor of the human body to explain who we are in this room. That yes, you've made an individual decision to follow Christ and nobody can make that decision on your behalf. That is a individual decision that you have to make. But when you make it, you're placed into a larger body of believers. And now we function together, Paul is saying symbolically, like a human body. It's actually a fascinating metaphor in comparison when you really think about it. We were never designed to walk alone. We were never designed to, to handle all of life's trials and challenges and pain or even celebrate alone. I mean, challenges and pain alone are really hard, but celebrations alone are really hard too. We were designed to do those things together as part of a larger 
body and community is all over the Bible. Community and it's, it's draw to placing us in this larger entity called the church or in our case, Vineyard Church of the Rockies. But this text specifically has a few things that I would want to point out this morning. Three things that I would want to point out. First, you'll find life in community. You find life in community. If you follow along with Paul's metaphor, again, verse four and five, it says that we're all part of this larger body. And what happens when you decide to follow Christ and you place yourself in a community of believers, you realize pretty quickly that you're surrounded by people that are different than you with different passions and different personalities and different gift mixes and and different ideas. And all of us together are a more full representation of who Christ is. And it's in this community with everyone around you that you can have the fullness of life that God is offering you. But if that's true, then there is also something true about the reality that, that you are going to experience that life to the degree that you jump in. You will experience the life that God has for you through spiritual community in direct relationship with the amount that you jump into said community. If you're just dipping your toes into that community, you're probably going to experience a little bit less life than if you're all in and you're plugged in and you, and you get to know folks and you get to share life with folks and you share in an authentic and vulnerable way with the people around you. That is the way to maximize the life that God can offer you through spiritual community. If we're being honest, we, we have to realize pretty quick, if you just look around this room, it's almost impossible to have all of our spiritual, relational and emotional needs met in one hour and 15 minutes on a Sunday. But there's an invitation to continue that life, to continue that journey beyond Sunday with those that you maybe see in this room. I've taken great heart actually for quite some time and when we close up service here on a Sunday that there's a lot of sidebar conversations and there's a lot of prayer, not only up front, but just in the auditorium and in the lobby, we're sharing life with each other. But the amount of healing and life that you experience here on a Sunday, can you imagine what that would look like if you carried that out Monday through Saturday? What would life look like if if you had four or five couples that in a pinch you could call and say, man, my life has just hit a wall right now and I don't know where to turn. And those folks could gather around you and support you and love you and care for you. God has created community so that we could experience a deeper and a greater amount of life. It's one of the promises that he has for us as we're part of this larger body. It'd be really weird. I mean, if we continue this kind of metaphor of you being part of the body, right? Let's just say you're all an arm today or a, or a hand. And let's just say, you know, uh, Paul, I like the idea, but I'm just going to kind of try to live it on my own. I know you say that we're part of a body, but my life has gone okay by myself. And so I just want to continue living life by myself. Really what that's like is you deciding to just kind of be lopped off from the rest of your body. And if you follow this metaphor, like at, at your best, you're going to slowly shrivel up and your relationships are going to be minimized and your, your connection with each other are going to be minimized. Your emotional care and your spiritual care are going to be minimized. And, and, and your theology might even get a little wacky because when you are isolated by yourself, you can't navigate through all of life's problems through scripture. It's really hard to do that on your own. But at worst, if you decide to lop yourself off from community, you're going to feel that hole in your heart. 
that ache for loneliness is all of a sudden going to become like a best friend of yours because it's all that you know. And what God is saying is, I want to weave you into a greater community. I want to etch you into the stone with other believers so that you can feel and experience the fullness of life that I have for you. In community, you'll find the best version of yourself. You'll find the most amount of life for your heart. The second thing that we can pick up from this text is that you find humility in community. You'll find humility in community. One of the best things that community has to offer, at least real community, authentic community, a community that, that is vulnerable with one another is that you'll find a lot of humility in the midst of that place. Verse three in chapter 12 says, don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves. It says, be honest, evaluate yourself, measure yourself. Actually take a moment to self-reflect on, on who you are, who God's created you to be, and maybe some of the shortcomings that, that we all walk with from time to time. So you need community to help you highlight some of these areas in your life that maybe aren't exactly like Christ. It's community that will uniquely point out some of those shortcomings to you. And we don't always like hearing about those shortcomings, but once we recognize them, that's, a, that's the best invitation for us to continue to grow with Jesus. You need community. I mean, I, I feel like community is like one of the only, especially a small group. It's one of the only places where somebody can come alongside you and say, hey, you know, when we're in group together, you talk all the time, all the time. And, and no one else can get a word in because you're talking all of the time. That can only really happen if you're getting to know each other. The same, the same thing is true just on the opposite side of the coin. When we're in group together, you never talk. But when we break up, I hear such great ideas from you. We need those ideas in the group. Will you, will you present more of yourself to the group? I've been in groups where there's one person who just prays for everybody all the time and never gets prayer, right? And, and it's hard to trust that person because it's like, man, their life is just perfect and everything's put together. Are there any areas where they need kind of a mutual love and a mutual support? Community and small groups, these are the places where you can have those honest conversations, Community helps you grow in humility in, in drastic ways because of the honesty in which you can speak and measure each other in such a kind and loving way. Community offers humility as well because it, it offers you context and perspective that you can't get by yourself. It really truly provides you a context and a perspective that you can't get by yourself. This right now for me is, is golf. It's just golf. If I want to feel really good about my golf game, I'll just take my seven-year-old out to the driving range. I can beat him in a long drive contest every single day of the week, right? And he's really got a gift for encouragement. So when I hit one, he's like, whoa, dad, you hit that so far. And the Faust family is a loud family. So everyone else on the driving range hears that. I feel really good about my golf game. And if I'm feeling especially good, then I can go play at that little course um, out, out at Mountain Vista, if, you, if you've ever played golf, there's no hazards. Like you can't hit it in the water. You can't lose a golf ball. The greens are really easy. Everything about that golf course helps you feel really good about your golf game. And then you join a couple buddies and you drive down to Denver to play at like the Omni golf course. It even sounds fancy, right? It's really, it's really hard. And I went down there just a couple weeks ago and I lost by 30 strokes. I think I lost eight balls. The only thing I was good at was ordering from like the little beverage cart that drives around. And I even failed at that because I left my credit card in Denver. 
I had to call and cancel it. And the worst part for someone as competitive as me is like, I now have an hour and 15 minute drive to just think about how bad I suck at golf. But if I was just playing by myself and just playing on this easy course with this easy context, I would have never known the reality of my shortcomings, right? Community is important for these things. And I, it's a funny story. It's golf and, and, you know, it's probably not as deep as like sitting with Jesus and learning about how you don't love like he does. But I'm telling you, context is important and community offers that. If you're always measuring yourself by yourself, how are you going to know the trueness of where you're really at? Let me say that again. If you're only measuring yourself by yourself, how are you ever going to really know where you're at, how you're maturing, how you're growing with Christ? You need community. God is aware of this. He's placed us in community for these very reasons. Community offers you life. It offers you humility. And third from this text, community offers you a place to belong. You find belonging in community. I love verse five. It says, we are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. This is a really interesting part of the text. It's the, it's the part of the text, in my opinion, that, that pushes against that individualization, kind of that spirit of America to the nth degree, right? It, it's, just, it's just right in its face because it says, somehow we belong to each other. Somehow, some way, I actually belong to you. And, and, and you belong to him and he belongs to her and she belongs to him and we all belong together. There's a, there's a way that Jesus is talking about, that Paul is talking about this, that when you're placed in a community, now you're sharing each other's burdens, but you're also sharing each other's celebrations. That you're deciding and choosing to live life together in a deeper way than just a word relationship can probably capture or a deeper way than just maybe even community can capture. We're talking about belonging to one another. It's a really interesting choice of words that Paul put in here when he's talking about the body of Christ. And I think one of the greatest things about belonging, I think one of the, one of the best things that comes out of a place of belonging is healing. That belonging predicates healing. It's, a, it's almost a prerequisite for you to experience the fullness of healing that God might have for you is belonging. If you, again, think about the metaphor, our bodies, when they're functioning and working together in this way where all the parts belong to each other, you realize, especially the medical friends like in our room know this, your body's capable of pretty amazing things. It's actually capable of, of healing different parts of itself, right? There's white blood cells and I'm not a medical whiz, I'm a theology whiz, so I can't explain all of it, but your body actually helps to heal itself. It's just an amazing way that God has created us and the body of Christ is really no different. When we work together, when we live life together, when we share vulnerably with one another, when we're authentic with our shortcomings as well as our celebrations, there's something that happens in a unification of, of Christians, in, a, in the unification of a spiritual relationship that brings health, that brings healing to the pain in your heart, the wounds of your mind, and the loneliness of your soul. Community can offer all of these things. 
can offer life and humility, can offer you belonging. But you, you start to see all of these promises of community. And, and at least I still struggle with, well, if all of these things are true biblically, if all of these things are true about community, why do so many of us opt out? Why do so many of us look at the opportunity for community and say, maybe next year, maybe when my schedule's more figured out, maybe when I feel better about myself or when I have more of my life put together, I think there's a lot of reasons why we opt out for community. I think schedules is one of them. We, you know, one of the things that, that America is selling us right now, in addition to individualization, is that if you're not busy, you're not successful. And so we fill our schedules so much that it's really hard to, to put in a small group or some other kind of time for community on our calendars. I get that. It's a real thing. If you're new to the church, it can be really hard to start a new relationship with five strangers in a small group. I, I, I understand that. But I think one of the key reasons why people opt out from community, it's not schedule, although that's true. It's not new relationships, although that's true. I think maybe the number one reason is actually pain. That we avoid community because of pain. Pain from the past. Maybe your first small group experience was just a really lousy one. Your leaders were controlling and they were judgmental and it, they didn't create an atmosphere where you felt like you could bring in all of your junk so that you could actually get prayer and, and receive the healing that you were so desperate for. And so you've now avoided small groups because you're afraid that's going to be repeated to you again. Or maybe some of us, right? For many of us, probably the first experience that we were supposed to have with community, namely the family didn't provide the safety, didn't provide the unconditional love, didn't provide the amount of acceptance that we were designed for in our first community ever. Trust was betrayed. And we have wounds left over from that first formation, from that first family experience. It's really your first experience in community. But I want to encourage you today that, that if all you're doing is opting out of community because of a bad experience in the past, you will miss a healthy experience in the future. And so I want to encourage you to not let the pain of the past keep you from a healthy experience today. We do this, right? And we, and we do it for good reasons because we've been burned in the past, but we have to ask God for courage to look at the past and say, that happened then, but God might be offering me something new today. I would like to think this church could be a place where you could belong. I would like to think this is a, it's a place where because of belonging, you could experience healing. And because of that connection, you could experience the fullness of what God has for you in our midst. Don't let pain from the past keep you from health today. So here's the call. The call is simple. I think you can pull out your phones right now and, and scroll through all the small groups that we have to offer. This week is the first week you can sign up for a small group. If you don't have a smartphone, there's iPads in the back. And I would encourage you to sign up for one. There's, there's a lot of different small groups that you can get plugged into right now. Even next week, I think there's going to be even more. So stay watching that. We also have tasters, which are three-week classes, three-week courses that precede the small groups. And so the idea is you can sign up for a taster and you can meet some people there. And then you can launch into a small group together right after that and continue the relationship, continue growing together. I love this quote. This quote, I think, really captures kind of where maybe some of us are at this morning. It's from a creative artist named Scott Erickson. And he says, the doorway to loneliness is the same doorway to belonging. It's just that one is an entrance and one is an exit. 
Loneliness and belonging actually have the same door. But one is on your way in and one is on your way out. I look at that and I think about our church actually just in real practical sense. What if we all realize that there is some truth to that quote and there's some real actual doors in our building. And when people come in that we could provide a space for them to belong. And maybe you're new here. Maybe you're new-ish here. I pray that you have felt like this could be a place for, that you would call spiritual home. And we could together collectively begin redeeming some of the pains of the past and provide an opportunity to experience everything that God has for you. I think that happens here on Sunday mornings. But I think the, the tasters and the small groups, even the party that we're throwing after church is another place, another avenue where you can allow God to minister to your heart. Let me close this morning with one of my new favorite words. It's one of my new favorite words. It's an African word, actually. It doesn't translate perfectly into the English language, but they've got a working translation, I think, that is just beautiful. The word is Ubuntu. Nelson Mandela made this word famous. He wasn't the first one to use it, but he made the word famous. Ubuntu, and translated into English, basically means I am because we are. I am because we are. When you realize that the collective power of many is what actually propels the individual power of one, that is a beautiful realization to come to terms with. That the myth of the self-made man or the myth of the self-made woman is just that it's a mythological creature that's roaming around our culture, but Ubuntu, I am because we are. That the power of us together will actually help the power of you individually grow. That's a very different phrase than one that I'm hearing a lot in the American culture right now. You do you. Have you heard that phrase? You do you. And it's not all negative, but some of the connotations are the reality is you do you sets you up for a life that could be very isolating and independent. But I am because we are, it binds us together in the way that I think we realize and we read about in scripture. And I can't help but imagine what would happen to each and every one of our lives if we leaned into community just a little bit more. If we locked arms with each other just a little bit more. If we shared celebrations as well as burdens with each other a little bit more. And then of course I start to dream, it's the missionary in me. I start to dream about what would happen to our city. What would happen to Northern Colorado if we had a whole bunch of communities of transformation here in our church? And when we broke on Sunday and went our separate ways, we had sprinkled these smaller communities of transformation all around the city, all around Northern Colorado. I promise you that if we could press into that, that God would take that and he would light fires all over Colorado. And pretty soon we would literally start changing the world through his love, through his presence, through his power, and through the healing that can come through spiritual community. The best version of you happens in community. Let's pray.